It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome once again to the Two Jacks uh, recording on this day, the 17th of October, year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, we've got a lot to get through today. Joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack. G'day, mate. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. How here. are things in How are things in Hong Kong? Firstly, yeah, uh, they're they're pretty good. Uh, nothing dramatic happening here. But I was talking to my son the other day, who now works for the Sydney Swans, um, ah. uh, and he's been, and he's been doing. Um, uh, uh, doing some work at the AFLW games, um, and yes. the, the Sydney Swans AFLW team uh, is splitting their season really between North Sydney Oval, the very pretty North Sydney Oval, beautiful, um, and and Henson Park, just to give both sides of the harbour a pretty easy access. And of course, we were having a conversation about how this has led to a return to the old days of suburban footy, suburban you know, footy. And what, and, and, and what works for them, and the things that he told me about the things that work is that a nice little, nice small oval, not too big, you know, big stadium, um, and that you can decide to go at the last moment. No one pre-books. Um, you just turn up and pay, um, and they like to have it in areas where there's lots of bars and restaurants and stuff afterwards, so people can enjoy the game, and then go and have a beer and a pizza or whatever, you know, on the way home. Um, yes, which is the, the way, way it used footy, to be, Jack. The, the way footy was when you and I were young chaps uh, in Melbourne. And in fact, we were we were particular aficionados at Princess Park, you because you were a Carlton fan, uh, and me because it was a 10, 10 or 15-minute walk from, uh, from home. I was going to ask you, what was your favourite pub to go to after a Princess Park game? Well, pre-drinking days, Jack, I, I, I wasn't going to pubs after the game. What what me and a few other mates used to do was run straight at the cameras um, and get on telly. Um, we were very, very keen to get on television. <laughs> so we'd, we'd spot the cameras and, you know, uh, you... they'd finish the replay with the crowd running onto the ground and we'd just run straight at the cameras and big waves and all that sort of stuff and go and watch ourselves on the replay. When we came of age, and perhaps just a couple of years beforehand, uh, we would often head off to the Fenwick or uh, sometimes Norton's um, yeah. or make our way into town and uh, get the tram into town and uh, have a gargle there. Well, the Fenwick was my favourite. Um, I'm glad you're running at the cameras. You've always been a bit of a media tart. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, right back it's, from it's those in the blood. Yeah, uh, uh, but the Fenwick was my favourite. Um, and, in fact, I think you and I bumped into each other unexpectedly there um, many years ago. Um, I don't remember it, so it might have been a bit of a messy day, Jack. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Fenwick's now, Fenwick's now a block of flats, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah. and that's partly because North Carlton has changed so much. Uh, in those days, it was full of uh, still plenty of student houses and young professionals and all that sort of stuff. The young professionals are still there, but they're now 70. A good friend of mine and, and, and a bloke you know uh, has just moved back into North Carlton and he was talking about the phone the other day and, and he mentioned he'd seen a bloke who we both knew back in the 80s um, uh, and this bloke's 
so old and decrepit he was using a walker to to, to, to get to his local pub for his afternoon tipple. You know. um, there you go. So, so, so it's, become a reti- it's become a retirement home, sadly. Consequence of uh, gentrification is uh, people yep. do get old. Um, now, look, we've got a lot to get through today. Uh, great memories of uh, of uh, Princess Park there, but uh, we've got a lot to get through. The voice referendum has been done and dusted. National vote, basically, I think they're only about 75% counted at the moment, but um, uh, it's uh, the national vote was 40 yes, 60 no, more or less. Uh, not, a, not a single state got up. Uh, the only exception uh, was the Territory, which doesn't really – the ACT, which doesn't count in terms of uh, a state statehood, of course. Uh, so a thorough and rather predictable thumping uh, there, Jack. Um, uh, I just wanted to read one of the comments from, uh, from one of our listeners. This is uh, a man with a Twitter handle, C Donners. Uh, he said, hey, mate, turns out – Jack from Hong Kong, Hong Kong Jack, got it bang on about the voice. Actually, the result was probably worse than expected for yes. SA was particularly bad for them. And I said uh, in reply, uh, HK, uh, HK Jack got it right from around February this year. That's when you said it. Um, and I said, mark it down, folks. Uh, Jack uh, had pretty much got it right that this was not going to work Um and we'll get into the reasons for that uh, shortly, but an unsurprising result, Jack. Uh, no, it's perhaps slightly worse for yes than I expected, but um, something that I think not just me, but quite a few people could see from a long way out. Yeah, it was the the, the, the polling was trending towards the, the high thirties, and I think if anything, there might have been a little bit of a, a little bit of a comeback. Um, uh, to take it out of that sort of high thirties, just into the forties, not much of a comeback, it must be said. But, but uh, that's where the polling was was taking us uh, during the uh, the polling period uh, before the big day. Um, uh, that the no vote was in the um, uh, in the mid to high thirties. Um, so who, who's who, who's fault? Who's to who's to be who's to be blamed besides you, Jack? And your uh, and your, uh, your your dark aspersions on on the voice. Who else? Who's to be blamed? I see a lot of uh, anti Murdoch rhetoric appearing on Twitter. Jack didn't Chris Kenny wasn't Chris Kenny perhaps the one of the one of the loudest <laughs> proponents of the voice and and uh, to his considerable credit did so uh, often um, uh, flying in the face of uh, of the audience that he speaks to. Uh, loud and unrelenting, I would I would have put it from Chris Kenny, um, uh, mm. and as you say, full credit to him. I, I'm always happy to have people uh, stand up for what they believe in and say. Yes, that's um, I agree with that too. Um, uh, but look, there's a lot of blame going around, um, and there will be, um, and a lot of things people could have done differently from from the S side, um, but most of them would have wouldn't have made any difference. Um, the campaign could have been better um, and that might have added 2 or 3%, maybe 4 to the yes side. Um, mm. uh, it could have been bipartisan. That might have added another 2 or 3, um, uh, uh, but it still would have lost. The problem wasn't with well, That's a really interesting things. thing. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the campaign in detail in a, little, in a little while, but you honestly believe that if there was bipartisan support, this still would have failed? 
I don't think I... Yes, I, I, mean, I, I don't I, agree I, with let that. Me, let, me explain, let, let, let me explain why I believe that. Um, and that, you know, only one Liberal seat voted yes, despite the fact that... The, so, sorry, only one Liberal seat... Only one, one Liberal, seat, Liberal seat voted yes. 80% of Labor um, seats voted no. 80%. Mm. Um, uh, including um, the seats held by uh, you know, Linda Burney, all, all of the high hitters from the Labor Party, none of them could persuade their uh, Linda Burney, Chris Bowen, Jason Clare, Tony Burke, Ed Husick, Michelle Rowland, Richard Miles, Jim Charlesworth, Amanda Rishworth, Mark Butler and Catherine King, all the most impressive people on the Labor Party front bench none of them could persuade their own electorates to vote yes. They all voted no. So it wouldn't have mattered what Peter Dutton said, the thing would have failed. True enough. I think that's 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 right. I mean, look, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that too in a minute. But uh, we, must, we must say that in Anthony Albanese's seat, uh, uh, that uh, there was a sort of quite strong yes vote, I think, in the 70%. Uh, 70 percentile, but a number of those seats you're talking about there, Jack, are in Western Sydney, going out to the outer west, uh, yep. where Michelle is, Michelle Rowland, that is. Um, uh, what sort of political consequences are we talking about here? I mean, first thing I would like to say is that all the, all the teal seats voted significantly in, in the yes. Are those seats lost forever to the Liberal Party or lost at least at the next election? Uh, they probably already were. Uh, um, I, I don't see this having a, a marked political um, impact on the two-party preferred vote um, uh, because the Liberals' problems with the Teal seats were there before the referendum and will be much the same, perhaps slightly worse afterwards. Um, and I don't think the fact that all of those Labor ministers couldn't persuade their own electorate to vote the way they wanted them to means much either because the Australian people are pretty able to distinguish between voting in a referendum and voting in an election. Um, yeah, uh, I agree with that. And uh, so I don't think it'll have much impact on that. Where it might have some impact um, is on the fortunes of the Prime Minister, because this was a colossal misjudgment of epic proportions. Um, and uh, he had been uh, standing in the party room with a considerable authority after having led them to an election win. Um, and people will now be looking at him saying, he's beatable. Warren Brown's cartoon in the Daily Telegraph, uh, I think on the Monday, um, uh, yesterday, was uh, basically referring to the $450 million uh, that uh, the referendum cost. Um, um, quite, a, quite, a, quite a sharp and uh, <coughs> um, uh, basically showing elbow, hurling, hurling away $450 million. Quite a significant sum. Uh, Peter Dutton's position was, uh, he paraphrased Paul Keating by saying um, this was the referendum Australia didn't need to have. Campaign-wise, Jack, I noticed there are a number of uh, the great and the good involved in that. Lachlan Harris, Tony Nutt, Mark Texter, I've got a fair bit of time for. 
Um, so so that, that, that's from both sides of politics. Lachlan Harris worked for Kevin Rudd, I think, um, uh, and um, Tony Nutt and Mark Texter worked in the Howard, worked for the Howard government in those years. Mm. And, and, and indeed, but Texter and Nutt have also helped out the Conservative Party in the UK. These people are considered the best campaigners, but they didn't do a very good job. I don't think you could say they did. Uh, um, uh, the impetus of the of the campaign was to get it all done in the in the in the last three weeks, two of which people were pre polling or able to pre poll, um, and it just seemed to, that this was the strategy to lead up to a sort of crescendo uh, of uh, support. Uh, just on on the basis of a three week campaign, and I think the point you've made earlier and throughout pretty much since February is that is that the failure to basically and we'll we'll disagree about the voice, but the failure to bring people along um, with the process going back a, a number of years is the reason why it failed, and the idea that you can. Tr- turn people around in the last three weeks just seems bizarre to me. Um, uh, the Voice had a 60-40 yes-no campaign lead um, based on the idea. Um, and, and frankly, I thought the idea of a Voice, even in a constitutional sense, could probably get up. Um, what didn't happen was they consulted with you know, let's be let's be generous to them and say they consulted with ten or fifteen percent of the population. The problem with that approach is that you need hundred percent of the population to, to to be on board. You know, uh, you've got to consult much more widely, and they never did, um, and, and that's what killed it because they came up with a proposal that was never going to succeed. Um, and let's remember, not only did they start with a sixty forty result, they had the support of all the major corporates, all the celebrities, all the major sports organisations, most religious figures, all of the state premiers, nearly all of the state opposition leaders and most of the media. And it still kept dropping. The more people who read the proposal, the less support it got. There was no great um, deviation. How many people did read the proposal, Jack? Um, Well, the more of them that read it, the worse it went is the answer. So you're um, talking about uh, the um, uh, proposal put together by uh, Langton uh, and uh, and, uh, and and uh, her partner in, uh, in uh, that's the one you're talking Martin, about, Langton and Tony Karma. Um, but Karma, not just sorry, that, yes. not just the big proposal they wrote, but the actual wording of what was going to change in the constitution. The more people knew about that, the less it was going to succeed. And, and this started happening over a year ago, um, and, and I became convinced it was going to fail before Christmas um, because I was talking to some Aussies who were here in Hong Kong, and, and I, I just formed the view that this is these were the sort of people who I absolutely expected to be on the Yes Camp, and they weren't. Um, and, um, and that sort of led me to start to think, well, what's going wrong? And I looked at the polling, and the polling's just been in a straight line all the way through. It's just been falling steadily um, all the way from... Well, from, see, that's uh, not a straight line. That's a... Uh, that's well, a, the only deviations from a straight line would fit within what the pollsters call data noise. Um, um, so, you know... But um, we did have, you know, when this all began, we had uh, support for the voice in the, ho- in, in the low 60s. Yeah. And then we see, we see that decline throughout this year, 
And uh, well, 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 going, back, going that, back, sorry, but, going, going back to last year, we see yeah. that decline, and and they and it basically intersects the yes and no support in the polling intersects around about the time uh, that the Liberal Party, uh, Federal Liberal Party, said they were opposed to it. Now that that is that is against trend, but um, the trend was downwards anyway. But the, the point of intersection was around about June of this year, if I remember correctly, where yep. um, where the where the no vote became ascendant. Yeah, but you you were right when you said I think in February or March that every time Peter Dutton um, uh, spoke about the voice, the yes vote went up and the no vote went down, um, and I think that was a pretty accurate assessment at the time. I still think it's a pretty accurate assessment. I think he had very little impact on this at all. In fact, I think party politics had almost no impact on. On, on, on the on the referendum outcome, I tend to agree with that. So when we look at um, when we look at Dutton or Albanese and their um, prospects going into uh, uh, going into uh, uh, the next federal election, whenever that will be, um, you don't think that there's going to be much. I mean, people will dust themselves off and uh, and get back on get back on the business. I, I, I think the problem with Albanese lies, and this gets back to this sort of Qantas Qatar business, uh, and one hopes that now he will re- resolve to resort to cabinet government rather than the captain's picks and the uh, and the sort of grey areas where he makes announcements and uh, it doesn't go through cabinet. I mean, the, the Qantas Qatar thing, I know it's a long, long while ago and that sort of scandal has passed, but what if that had been done through Cabinet, Jack, not only would Cabinet members support it because of Cabinet solidarity, but they wouldn't be allowed to talk about it in any great detail because of uh, Cabinet confidentiality. Yeah. Um, so was, so it's a, a, the lesson for it for him is to stick with process, stick with the processes that work. Oh, it, it is for everybody who's in that job. That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was an excellent piece in the Australian uh, at the weekend talk, uh, on Monday, I think, talking about what had gone wrong, and they were suggesting there was a bit of hubris after the election, and then the historic win in the Aston by election. Um, and, and, and I think he kind of misread the message of the Aston by-election. Um, um, and, there was a, and there was a refusal. I had this conversation with, with some yes people saying, look, guys, you've just got to slow this down and go back and get the process right. Um, um, you know, so you've got to look at the history of referendums in Australia. Look at 1999. Look at why it failed. Um, Michael Kirby, the distinguished High Court judge, set out nine reasons why um, the... Uh, uh, yes campaign in the, in the in the Republic referendum failed, and the yes campaign in this referendum replicated eight of them. Um, yeah. uh, um, so, but but I would talk to people about this, and they would say, "Look, the world's changed since 1999. You know, um, we're much more progressive post the same sex marriage plebiscite." So they didn't think they they thought they could ignore history. They thought they rewritten the way the world works, and they hadn't. Well, we get back to that bipartisanship there, Jack, and, and I know you're, you're saying that it, you don't think it would have changed things very much. Um, Troy Bramston today, I don't know if you've read Troy today, mate, uh, he came forward with an op-ed saying, and, and this in part, this in part, I'll just read it out, another fairy tale is if Labor legislated the voice, the referendum would have had a better chance of success. Hello, 
Ken Wyatt twice took the uh, twice took the voice to cabinet and was rejected by his co uh, coalition colleagues. It never had support in the coalition joint party room, in government or opposition. The coalition would have voted against legislation establishing a voice before a referendum. So the argument that Anthony Albanese needed to work harder to secure bipartisanship is nonsense. The opposition was never going to agree to this referendum, however worded. David Littleproud opposed the question before he even knew what it was, and that's quite true. Peter Dutton seized an opportunity to inflict political damage on the government. Moreover, recognition without a voice is not what Indigenous leaders wanted. So that sort of addresses that. I thought that was – I think those were good points to make. I think bipartisanship would never have come um, – uh, you're, I know you're saying that it may not, that in your view, would not have mattered, but I don't think anyone could possibly turn around and say, well, it, you know, had, had, um, uh, had uh, yeah, uh, what Anthony the, Albanese what consulted further with with uh, with uh, Peter Dutton, uh, then they might have got bipartisan support. That was never going to happen. Probably not, because the Liberal Party were opposed to it. But l let me say this. They shouldn't have been consulting with Peter Dutton. They should have been consulting with the wider yeah, community. I know, yeah, Peter I know Dutton's exactly what you're going to say, referendum. but yeah. 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 Um, you know, I mean, Peter Dutton doesn't um, uh, tell the people of Greenaway how to vote. Well, they won't, won't listen to him if he does, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, where, that's, where, that's where it was lost. So pointless to, to blame Peter Dutton. The blame really goes back to, to, to the top for not consulting with the right people, and I think that's a lack of courage. So who who would who would the right people have been, Jack? With, I mean, the, I, they did have the support of the religious communities in Western Sydney, uh, the imams there, um, uh, 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 Christian uh, senior Christian figures, etc. Um, and and as we saw with uh, a, a fair bit of pomp that there was a you know there was a. A, a, a unanimity or uh, 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 you know a comprehensive support for the voice among senior religious figures uh, in in the suburbs of uh, Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah, what they needed to do, what what Albanese needed to do first of all was to tell the the, the Aboriginal leaders who he was dealing with, I understand this is what you want, but this is not how referendums in Australia work. We need wide support now. We need to go to the wider community, perhaps hold a constitutional convention. There are, there are many different ways this could have been done. Troy Bramson gave that a slapping, that whole idea today in his piece, just saying. Yeah, not, not very effective slapping in my view, but um, it, they ne he needed to tell the, the Aboriginal leadership that we need wide support for this to get it through. It's all very well for you to tell me this is what you want. I can't get you what you want without wide support. So that means we're going to go to the wider community and find a, find a proposal that you will accept and they will accept. And that was never done. All right, Deputy Prime Minister, I think he was interviewed on The Insiders. Was he on The Insiders on the weekend? I didn't watch yeah, it. Yeah, this, 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 this clip was played on The Insiders, but I think I saw this... Um, live to air on, uh, on on counting night. He said, obviously for those of us who are supporting the Yes campaign, it wasn't the night we hoped for and I am disappointed. But the Australian people always get it right. Or is that white? No, right. 
And we uh, absolutely accept this result. And what this means is that Australians don't want to see this pursued through a change to the Constitution. Albanese spoke very, very well too, I thought. Well, can I, can I say why I picked the, the, the males thing out? Yeah, I'm not, yeah, tell me. To, 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 to emphasise it, is that everybody in politics makes mistakes. Everybody in life makes mistakes. It's just mm. like playing sport. It's what you do next that matters. And that was the right response from Miles. Don't go around blaming everybody else. Just accept the fact that um, we put something up that people didn't accept. That's it. If we uh, if we veer into Twitter territory, Jack, uh, we see a lot of acrimony uh, on the Sunday and the Saturday night yep. uh, as uh, as the referendum failed. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I was. Uh, completely taken by um, uh, uh, Possum Comitatus there, who I know is a Queenslander, uh, and he said, why would you think the Conservatives would do anything else uh, than run negative campaigns? They're very, very good at it, um, and they've been doing it for a very, very long time. So this idea that there was misinfo and disinfo around, um, uh, I, I don't know why people were particularly surprised about that. Um, I, I did see what he had to say. Uh, just on the misinfo and disinfo, uh, Troy Bramston uh, sort of put in a list of what he called misinformation. All, all of us, every one of them, were, were opinions or predictions as to the future. Now, um, everyone's entitled to their opinion and everyone's entitled to make predictions. Um, it doesn't mean they're right and we, no one really knows is the answer. Um, so uh, I don't think it's a misinformation problem. The problem is and was with the process and the proposal. All right. We just don't want to look at the uh, the wisdom of Cosimaris here, Jack, and then we're going to get on to where we go from here. But Cosimaris says, close to 80% of Labor, Labor federal seats voted no. Remove the ACT and Labor Greens contest seats and that number climbs to 90%. These numbers may get worse with one or two seats. Uh, which uh, a line ball in front of the yes vote. The seats of uh, Linda Burney, Chris Bowen, Jason Clare, Tony Burke, Ed Husich, uh, Michelle Rowland, Richard Miles, Jim Chalmers and Amanda Rishworth, uh, Mark Butler and Catherine King all voted no and that is a fair chunk of the ALP House of Reps talent. Um, and uh, so because I think has taken the view that um, uh, that uh, progress, that there is a sort of widening gap between what we might call um, um, blue-collar uh, Labor voters and uh, progressives in the inner city, Jack. Uh, and that's been around for 10 or 15 years. I might just say about Cosimaras, <coughs> he has done an excellent job right through Well, the this. polling was right, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the, um, the polling was spot on. N- not just his, his, his polling was good, but the, almost everyone got the polls pretty much right. Um, uh, but his... Um, uh, social media presence and his explanation of the polls was very, very good. He copped a lot of flack from – he's a lefty himself. He caught a lot of flack from, flack from colleagues on the left for telling it as it was uh, and refusing to be a, a simple barracker. So full credit to Cosimaras. Well, he did say too that a lot of progressives don't really like the working class, Jack. Um, that's so he's just you know, widening that gap a bit, little bit himself. Yeah, I think there is a disconnect, and yeah. and and it can lead to sort of um, the uh, 
the, the you know the, the the nonsense that these people are uneducated, easily yep. led, easily manipulated, all that sort of stuff. Can I simply tell a little personal story here? Um, uh, my uh, eldest daughter's partner is an Indigenous uh, fellow. Um, uh, he, he's a tradie, uh, uh, grew up in the outer suburbs of Sydney or really almost regional New South Wales, uh, that, that, for, that far out. His mother is uh, half Aboriginal. Um, and, of course, my granddaughter, therefore by extension, is Indigenous, um, uh, although you haven't seen a whiter-skinned, bluer-eyed, um, indigenous girl for, for, for a long time. Um, but um, I, I spoke to him about it and all his family were, were voting no. Yeah, this, um, doesn't, this doesn't surprise me in the least. Now, um, that's not to say, I mean, probably it, when we when we towed it all up and the analysis is done, I would say somewhere in the order of 70% of Indigenous Australia voted yes. Um, and I, I don't intend to sort of say that that uh, Indigenous Australians as a whole voted no, but there were clearly other things at work there um, and, and they were, to a person, going to vote no, this particular family and, and I guess their, their extended family. Yeah, 40, 40% of Indigenous population in Australia lives in major cities. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, only, yeah. Only, only 17% of the Indigenous population are remote Indigenous people. Mm. Okay. Um, so who comes out of this a winner? Jacinta Price? She looks like uh, she might have had a win. Um, well, she comes out of it pretty well in this regard, is that it was a long and tough campaign and she stood up very well through, throughout it all. Um, that's not easy to do. Um, uh, and it's not easy to do when you're a relatively experienced, inexperienced parliamentarian. She made a couple of mistakes, but um, she had the good sense just to move on to the next thing um, without, like, without you know, um, yeah, hiding under the down, den. apologising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she just said, well, that's done. Um, uh, well, that might have yeah, been an error. Obviously, obviously the comment that, that yeah. uh, Aboriginal Australians have benefited from um, um, uh, white settlement, European contact, is, uh, is something that uh, will be with her for some time. But you, you're yeah. right, the worst thing she could have done at that stage was to clarify or back down and she just kept moving on. Um, yeah, so, so, so good performance. I don't think it's going to take it very far. Well, no. well, well it will guarantee that um, uh, she's a, an opposition front bencher. Um, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but it won't take her any further than that. So she's a winner. Um, uh, there are very few other winners in this. I don't think Dutton's a winner out of it at all. Uh, Elbow's a loser. Um, uh, um, and um, I, I don't think his Cabinet colleagues are, are, are really losers about this because I suspect that they weren't consulted. Um, we also have, Jack, uh, where does it leave Warren Mundine? Um, there's, a, uh, there's a Senate spot coming up. Um, do you I think, think he'll be... I think, he's, I think he's already pulled out of that. Has he? Okay. Yeah, yeah I did not and, know and that. And I, I don't think I – mean, there's aspects of Warren Mundine that I quite like and aspects that I don't like, um, but I just don't think he's an electable uh, electable politician. You know? and, and just in a price, of course, if she wanted to be um, the leader of the Nationals or uh, – um, uh, she, she would need to uh, she would need to sit in the House of Representatives, and yeah. she's she's tried to do that in the past. Maybe her uh, maybe her, uh, her her popularity has risen, but an analysis of the sorts of people who voted for her said she was basically getting a lot of uh, white votes in Darwin rather than Indigenous votes around yeah. the territory. Um, yeah, I, 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 I just can't see that. I just can't see Jacinda Price 
being able to make the move to the reps and and be, and you know, being be a very, I, just, yeah, I, just would, I just don't see it. I'm afraid would be no. very problematic move. All right, but, so but but yeah, but you've got to say she put up a good performance in the campaign. I mean, it was a tough campaign and a long one. Yeah. Okay. So one of the one of the few benefits of of this whole process is that at least we've had a conversation. Jack, as a nation, we've had a conversation about Indigenous disadvantage. Oh, look, more than a conversation. Um, I don't think it's going to be possible to be elected to federal government in Australia um, without um, now, um, uh, without promising to do something about remote, indis- uh, remote Indigenous disadvantage. I think people can see the difference. Um, uh, the Indigenous people that are um, uh, that are on uh, the drum and uh, and uh, and Q and A all the time. They're not too worried about them because they're clearly not disadvantaged, you know. Um, uh, but everyone's concerned about remote disadvantage, and I think the, the the electorate will be very unforgiving if people if if a, if a political party says it's too hard, we're not going to try and do something. They'll be forgiving of mistakes. There's a hell of a lot of mistakes that have been made in the past, but they won't forgive um, uh, apathy or inaction. Well, yeah, I think this could go one or two ways, Jack. And and yes, we've had this big conversation about how we handle these things. Firstly, I watched I watched a number of uh, the uh, the networks go through uh, and pick through the uh, the entrails of of the result. And what I saw was half a dozen white people on a panel talking about what's to be done about indigenous. Uh, indigenous affairs or indigenous policy in this country and it just seems to me that we've actually gone a step backwards i'll go on because the there are two things that the coalition is now um, pushing forward one is um, uh, jacinda price has said that uh, uh, they want to have an audit of the billions of dollars being spent on programs for indigenous australians and closing the gap that seems to me to be veering off into victim blaming a fair bit. I noticed there was a lot of nonsense on uh, social media about um, uh, <coughs> about various indigenous uh, leaders uh, in in the country. Um, Noel Pearson, for one, uh, people saying he should be he should be jailed for for using uh, for, for 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 exploiting and misusing funds and absolutely without any evidence. Um, I worry about that kind of response. Similarly to um, uh, the coalition has a policy, um, 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 well, they ditched the one about having the uh, having the second referendum. Um, they've gone quiet on that. But uh, but the one that really bothers me is that the Royal Com- that, that they plan to hold, should they find their way into government, plan to hold a Royal Commission into um, uh, child sexual abuse uh, in remote Indigenous communities, Jack, and that would seem to be to be a top piece of victim blaming. Um, I, I don't agree with any of their proposals so far. Um, I, I think there's, and as to whether money's been wasted, um, all I can say is that a hell of a lot of money's been spent, and a hell of a lot of goodwill has been expended on trying to fix this problem without any noticeable effect. Um, Look, and, that's been, and, and that's been going on for 30 years. Um, um, I think what needs to happen is to have an honest conversation about what the problems are, nothing off the table. Um, and that hasn't really happened. There's been a lot of fudging 
um, about what the problems are. Mm. Like, and, and, and victim we, blaming. Yeah, victim and victim blaming. blaming. But, mm. but we need to have a, a, you know, we don't need to, we shouldn't be categorising things as victim blaming necessarily. We should be having an honest conversation about what's wrong. Um, you know, one of the things that's blindingly obvious to me, or it seems obvious to me, um, is that the idea of communal ownership is holding people back. Um, uh, you know, no Aboriginal person in a remote um, uh, uh, community is going to open a store um, because of, of the humbug money um, uh, problem, you know. Uh, why would you get any richer when you're going to have to share it all? Let me give you um, an example, Jack. After the apology, 2008, um, yeah. part of that, one of the reasons Peter Dutton didn't turn up for the apology in the parliament was that he believed that there was going to be a massive compensation claim arise from the uh, Stolen Generations Apology. Um, uh, one of the fixes for that uh, was that uh, Rudd negotiated a $10 billion housing deal, largely to go through the Territory. And if you looked at the um, uh, value for money on that $10 billion spend, going once from the federal sphere then to the territories and disperse through housing and education and health and so forth, I reckon you get about 25 cents in the dollar there. So yep. the part of the problem is that, that you've got, particularly in the territory, where you've got money going through two hands to two, two governments and almost countless bureaucracies um, that, uh, that by the time the money hits the ground, the rubber hits the road, as they say, um, the, you, you, you're just not getting the value for the spend. Yep. And then it gets worse from there. Um, so you, you, you waste 75% of the money, probably, around about. Mm. Um, and then when you build the house, nobody, no family owns that house. It's just in communal ownership. So there's no incentive for anybody to look after it. Um, so we need to have an honest conversation about all of these things. That, you know, they talk about truth-telling. That's where the truth-telling really ought to start is let's have a truth-telling about what has gone wrong with the remote communities. Let's not victim blame. Let's not say um, uh, you got this wrong or that got that wrong um, uh, because um, uh, there's been a hell of a lot of people with a lot of goodwill, spent a lot of time up there, um, mainly progressives, you know, people, people who I really like, spent a lot of time up there and a lot of money and it, and it hasn't worked. So we need to be honest about what, why it hasn't worked and what might work better. Well, a Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse, it just it, it, it actually terrifies me. Um, and the sort of level of hypocrisy from the opposition who didn't support uh, the, Royal Com uh, the Royal Commission into institutional um, uh, responses uh, to child sexual abuse. I just want to run through the, st through the stats. By the, um, by the way, by the way I, I think there are problems of that kind in the remote communities, but they're symptoms, not causes. They are, uh, exactly uh, right. But I just wanted uh, to go uh, through the crime stats, Jack. First thing I'd say about the Territory is get an independent crime statistician. Um, most of the states around Australia now have them uh, because it's very difficult to pick through and also have some sort of confidence about the data that you see. Um, uh, NT sexual assault rate is one one four six. 0.3 per hundred thousand. That is all sexual assaults, adults and children, etc. It's not all that different from New South Wales, Jack. Um, and in fact, in New South Wales, where we do have a dedicated crime statistician, um, we are seeing uh, just in recent times uh, um, a spike in adult victims 
uh, of, of sexual assault, a spike in historic child sexual assault reports, and a spike 12.4%, 342 incidents of child victims reporting current sexual assaults. Maybe if, if we're going to have a, uh, a, a Royal Commission, it should be a little bit broader than that. And I wanted to also raise one thing, Jack, um, Bishop Christopher Saunders, now Bishop Prelate in uh, <coughs> in and around Broome, was the uh, was the uh, uh, Catholic bishop in Broome for a long time. And I hope you're listening, Bishop, um, because uh, I'm not sure why you haven't been charged with serious offences. Um, there were three million dollars found in five bank accounts. There were firearms uh, at at, uh, at the presbytery. There were uh, images of uh, young Aboriginal males uh, naked uh, being stored there that in itself was a problem. Um, there's uh, evidence indicating that um, uh, uh, Bishop Saunders was involved in uh, uh, delivering booze into dry communities. Um, this was the subject of an uh, investigation by the Vatican that took six months and finished six months ago, uh, but yet... Um, uh, uh, Bishop Chris Saunders uh, remains uh, remains in Broome, although not the bishop anymore. I, I just think we're looking the wrong way often in a lot of these things, Jack. Um, and and my real concern is that, that now we've moved, we've probably kicked the hell out of an, enough Aboriginal activists, people like Noel Pearce and Marcia Langton and so forth. They will need to be replaced by younger faces, younger voices, but overall, if I if I look at the election coverage or the referendum coverage, I should say, on Saturday night, I saw basically half a dozen white people talking about what Indigenous, uh, Indigenous affairs policy should be. And that seems to me to be a retrograde step, that we've actually moved away from that and we're moving back, back now into paternalism. Well, I, I watched the drum on Sunday and there were half a dozen white people, but they all identify as Aboriginal and they were talking about it. And I don't think they're the answer either. Um, well, I, I still think that we, you know, the voice has been rejected, but we definitely do need to listen to Indigenous Australians on what they what their needs are. The worst thing that we can do now is start imposing things because that's what we've always done and it never has worked. And, and I think that would be a, a major problem. Um, yeah, but- no, can I say I agree with that. It needs to start, as I say, with honest conversations. Look, I just think the whole referendum thing was a wasted opportunity. I think a referendum could have been passed and it wasn't because they didn't get the process right. Um, so, you know, uh, on, on Elbow's head, that will hang. Um, uh, but, you know, everyone needs to move on. And, and I think... The answer is that the no voters are going to shrug their shoulders and move on straight away. The disappointed yes voters are bitter, um, and they will they may exact a political um, uh, revenge. So it might hurt more Dutton more than it hurts Elba. That's possible, but really everyone needs to grow up and say it's done and dusted. It wasn't even close. Um, uh, no, 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 well, no, it was closer than the uh, the Republic referendum, Jack. <laughs> Yes, yeah, well, that, that's good. I mean, that was, I, I, I mean, <laughs> that was done and dusted about twenty past six. The, the, the yes, the yes campaign didn't win a single electorate in South Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, um, and it's, and you, you look at the map of map of all of Australia, and you've got to peer pretty closely to find the ones in blue. You know, I mean, uh, and the yes, I, I, I the think yes the big question for me too is for me is where now, where now, and, and if we're going to start, it just 
go back to the age of paternalism, that would be a, that would be a retrograde step. And, and if well, we're going to move into blame, blame shifting, or victim blaming, um, uh, and and reviews of spending, I would say, by the way, unverified accounts of Warren Mundine companies that he's been on the a board member of received three hundred and three million dollars in grants over a period of about seven years, Jack. Now, that, that's not to say that that's wrong or, 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 or unethical or anything worse than that. But if we're going to start picking through all of that, I just, I just, I really think where that's going to leave the general public's view is, ah, we're, we're spending too much money on, on Indigenous Australians. And um, yeah, I just think, we, just think we accept that a hell of a lot of money's been wasted um, all over the shop. Um, mm. Let's not think about that. Let's think about I, what we do. I, I what, think any sort of forensic next. analysis of this would be a really, really bad thing to do. Um, it will cause all sorts of problems. Moving on, Jack, and across the Tasman, um, uh, Labor uh, absolutely splattered in the polls. Was it just that they run out of puff, Jack? Probably a bit um, of that. I think two things. They went out, went out of puff a little bit and they'd come up with – too many odd ideas, you know, the the bit about reducing methane, you know, um, reducing their um, livestock numbers um, dramatically. Um, that was never going to play well in New Zealand, you know. They're, they're, they're very it, fond it, of their, very, very it, fond it, of their sheep and cattle. I think it, the worst thing about the New Zealand uh, election result is that it has denied us any further um, uh, any further leadership from Chris Hipkins, who was absolutely the perfect name for a New Zealand leader. Um, <laughs> uh, you can actually do it in the act, Chris Hipkins. And uh, <laughs> so so he's gone, but there's some big issues uh, rather and, similar and, to and, ours, Jack, uh, with, uh, with, um, uh, uh, with discussions now about uh, the, the, uh, the, the Treaty of Waikato. Uh, the co-governance model, they call it in New Zealand, um, hasn't been a success, in my view. Um, it's not uh, popular. I, and, well, it's certainly, shall we say, divisive. Yes. Um, uh, uh, it, it's something that businesses complain a lot about. Um, and, and we could learn a little bit about this from, from Australia. Uh, one of the things we could wind back um, uh, is all the welcome to country stuff and, and everybody identifying themselves as a proud Walpuri person, all that sort of stuff. There's nothing wrong with the welcome to country. Um, and I think Peter Layler on Twitter said, we should respect it the same way we respect the national anthem and the Lord's Prayer and all that sort of stuff. And I said, yes, that's right. But we don't say the Lord's Prayer when you jump on a Qantas burner from uh, from Melbourne to Sydney, you know. Um, oh, you, you, don't should... do, you don't do it there either, I don't think. Well, but, I mean, but that's what's happening. have a welcome to country. I'm, no, I'm you have an sure. acknowledgement of country, which is much the same thing. Um, so we could just wind those back and Maybe use Maybe I'll switch them. off, but I, I didn't hear we, that. We used them sparingly. Last time I was yeah. on a plane, and that was only a few weeks ago. Um, didn't hear any of that, and I flew Qantas. Um, uh, uh, um, yeah, look, I, I, I think, you know, there's there's – been a bit of there was talk that Telstra had spent a million dollars on the on um, supporting the voice, supporting the yes proposition, uh, and there is a bit of an attack on on uh, on uh, corporate Australia coming from the right. Uh, I'm not quite sure why the Liberal Party would want to be spending their time doing that, uh, given that it's pretty much its constituency, or perhaps it's walking away from that constituency, and, and we 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 end up with the question of. Just exactly what is the Liberal Party's constituency? Because I actually don't think they know. But back to New Zealand, Jack. In fact, we just want to go through a few stats because 
Um, there was a 17% swing against Labor. Uh, they lost 28 seats. Um, uh, it's a hybrid sort of uh, proportional representation and um, um, a similar, I think, sort of first, first past the post, isn't it, in their seats. So it's a sort of hybrid system, a bit like our Senate and a little bit like our House of Reps. Um, but some massive numbers. And, of course, elected, we haven't even mentioned him here, congratulations to Christopher Luxon, who is now the New Zealand Prime Minister. Um, and um, it's disappointing that Chris Hipkins won't be anymore because you can't make so many jokes about Christopher Luxon, former uh, CEO of, uh, of uh, Air New Zealand um, and uh, a prominent businessman. He has... Uh, address the issue, the issue of a referendum around the tra- around the treaty, um, and uh, he said that uh, he won't count it out or count it in. He 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 has been he has remarked on this throughout the campaign, saying he thinks it will be a divisive and potentially very unpleasant process for uh, for the people of New Zealand to go through. Um, and uh, but the the ACT Party, which is kind of a far right uh, libertarian party, is continuing to push it. And there is, I think, it's sort of forty eight percent support for a referendum, with forty five percent saying no to the referendum, and the rest I don't know. So it's a bubbling issue. It is it is one of those social fabric things that could really just rip it apart. I noticed Winston Peters, who may well be a kingmaker again, when all when all the uh, votes are counted, uh, is a uh, is a sort of supporter of the referendum, Jack. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't think it'll happen. To be quite honest, I think it's I, I, that that is really not not uh, something you want to be doing. Um, yeah, and <coughs> uh, Jacinda Ardern, Jack, um, she look, jumped in time. <laughs> she did jump in time. <laughs> She's very clever, isn't she? I mean, look, yeah. uh, she won. Was it uh, two, three elections? Um, uh, and uh, a very successful electoral politician. But by the time she did jump last year, uh, it was uh, looking very, very poor for the Labor Party at that stage. Yeah, um, uh, it was. A, some people would see it as a rat deserting a sinking ship, but uh, she jumped well in time. Um, it's probably easier to get a job at Harvard and the UN and all that sort of stuff when you're a sitting Prime Minister who's just resigned rather than one that's been chucked out. She has uh, uh, joined uh, Harvard University in a post specialising in technology governance, Jack. Bit of a yeah, reminder that, uh, that I think our government uh, uh, fined uh, Twitter um, some $600,000 yesterday, I think. Oh, it's actually a little bit bigger than that. Um, um, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll deal with that stuff later, or in, in fact, in another program. Um, but, yeah, she uh, she's... Uh, uh, basically, see, she sniffed the wind, hasn't she, and uh, taken the taken the jobs elsewhere. Yep. Good um, luck to her. Good luck to her, indeed. Uh, okay, housing shortage, and we're going to get to some major uh, events because the biggest one, of course, in the world at the moment is Gaza. We'll get to that very soon. But there's a housing shortage in the UK. We talk about housing and how significant it's going to be as a political. Um, uh, voting determinant uh, uh, that there's a large body of Australians who feel that they've been counted out of housing of home ownership. Um, uh, there's another uh, large group of body, uh, group of people who uh, who who have um, uh, 
uh, enjoyed uh, the benefits of of, uh, of taxation policy, uh, owning multiple homes, etc. Uh, and then there's another group who've uh, pushed themselves to to get a deposit together and get a mortgage together. In the and, and we're finding this in Germany, the housing shortage is just unbelievable. Um, uh, rental crisis there, like we, you know, we've got one here, but it's it's much much worse in Germany. Um, <clears throat> the housing, housing shortage in the UK is getting very serious. They've got a shortage of housing in the prison system. In the prison system, so it's not about <laughs> not about getting a mortgage, and that means that basically uh, uh, judges have been almost told not to not to um, put people not to give not to hand down custodial sentences. Indeed, this is this is, this is happening today in the UK. Um, I just had this picture of remember the wonderful um, television show Porridge, uh, yeah, uh, with um, uh, Ronnie Barker playing Fletch. Yes, uh, wonderful. Uh, uh, I just had this picture of Fletch being um, you know, given his marching orders and told he's got to go home, you know, because there's <laughs> no longer space for him, and he wouldn't be happy. You know? Well, Steve Reed, Labor's Shadow Justice Secretary, said prisons were turning criminals away. <laughs> because the Conservatives failed to build the cells they promised. The situation has become so chaotic, he said, that the Conservative government has instructed judges not to lock up dangerous criminals, leaving them to roam the streets and and seek out new victims. Is that actually happening, though, Jack? Well, we do Uh, know that former Justice Secretary Dominic Raab uh, caused controversy. He wrote to the Lord Chief Justice suggesting that judges that judges should take prison overcrowding into account when passing sentence or deciding whether to remand people in custody. Yeah, so it, was ha- it was happening as recently as a few days ago. I checked it out on the British papers. I'm just waiting for some enterprising Aussie law firm like Morris Blackburn to head over to the UK and, and start a class action on behalf of the people who've been denied prison. <laughs> well, there might be some legal action around those uh, who were became victims of crime um, because uh, because uh, as said criminals were uh, were out and about rather than behind bars yeah. where they belong. Oh, no, I think you could you could act on behalf of the prisoners decide, denied prison. Just uh, claim that they were denied the rehabilitation benefits of being banged up. Yeah, yeah, you could put it that way. Um, yeah, very strange situation there. Um, look, I, we also get this when you when you sometimes go through the ACT courts, Jack. Um, you see a lot of blokes there. Don't turn up. Don't turn up. Don't turn up. Then they go and grab them, and then they get bail, and they don't turn up. Don't turn up. Don't turn up. <laughs> and and when their matters are finally heard, and they do turn up. Nothing happens. <laughs> no, yeah. There are no consequences, yeah. and you think, well, they must have. They, the, the prisons in that ACT must be chock a block. That's mm. that's my that's my guess, anyway. Um, but look, we're moving on to very serious matters now. Israel and Gaza, um, uh, the ground war. I, I I sort of expected it. So it seemed that all the indicators were around uh, a ground war starting perhaps as early as last weekend that hasn't begun yet. And there may well be that uh, some uh, members of the IDF are a bit concerned about that. But where are we at the moment, Jack? Um, we've got airstrikes into Gaza. We've got populations in Gaza moving to the south. And I think the Egyptians have opened up the Sinai. Uh, for for uh, some of them at least to get out. 
Um, uh, of course, electricity, water, internet has been turned off in Gaza. Um, and uh, will this ground war happen? And, and if so, when's your, when? And what's your best guess on that? Um, pretty soon. Um, I believe a second carrier group from the US has moved into the Eastern Med. Um, and that's because there is a, uh, I guess, to discourage too much of a, a wider conflict. Um, the Israelis, I think, yesterday bombed the airports at Aleppo and Damascus, caused a lot of damage at Aleppo because, the, the, in their view, the Syrians have been involved in this. Yes. There are some skirmishes on the um, uh, on the Lebanon Lebanese border. Golden um, Heights, yeah. The, 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 the Israelis have... Um, um, evacuated some uh, settlements close to Lebanon um, uh, in case of you know uh, um, uh, incursions from the Hezbollah um, and Hezbollah the seems to be sorry to interrupt but Hezbollah seems to be uh, taking a wait and see approach so so far Jack yeah as as are the Iranians mm. um, uh, the the Iranian foreign minister went across and had a congratulatory uh, cup of tea with the Qatar, with the uh, Hamas leader in Qatar the other day, but since then the Iranians have been walking back their involvement and saying they're going to wait and see. I suspect that's because uh, they're worried that the Israelis, Israelis may well extract um, a, a price for their involvement, um, uh, you know, and that would involve um, some, some, some airstrikes on, mm. uh, on some valuable... Uh, Iranian property and, and the Israelis don't mess about when they do this stuff. If they do it, they generally do it pretty well. Um, so that's where we are. Um, uh, the Israelis are um, almost certain to go in and um, uh, and and try and um, uh, wipe out the Hamas leadership to prevent this. And I don't see it as revenge so much as trying to prevent all this from happening again. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a uh, um, visitor to Israel on numerous occasions, um, and he was saying that the IDF, that's the Israeli Defence Force, is weaker now than it's ever been, both terms in, in terms of numbers and in terms of morale, Jack. And, and yep. as we discussed last week, uh, going into a land war um, uh, into um, uh, heavily... Um, uh, reinforced uh, Hamas troops there. It could be a, it could be a bit of a disaster. Yeah, um, I think their morale will have been improved very quickly um, with this. Um, uh, the, the one one of the reasons why um, uh, the Israeli the, the IDF have been so successful by and large is that. Um, every member of the IDF knows that they're fighting for their own survival. They're fighting for the survival of their country. Um, it's like the Russians found out with the Ukrainians. They fight much better when they've got that sort I, of I mentioned this in a I mentioned this in a column last week, Jack, and I did notice some of the commenters are entitled to say what they like, but I said that this is actually a, an existential threat to Israel. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and people, people don't see it that way. I mean, I, I, I was a bit staggered by that. I can tell you the I tell you the Israelis do and Jews around they, they the world. They most certainly do. do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. most certainly do. Um, we have seen a fair amount of um, uh, a fair amount of uh, sort of uh, hypocrisy about the place. I, I did notice that uh, um, one of the Teals has, has come forward and said, "Look, I, I supported I supported the motion in the Parliament uh, condemning Hamas 
yesterday and there was I think there was a bit of mischief made about some of the te- teals at least about who they came out and first uh, Jenny Leong from the Greens she has not backed away at all um, her the her, her original comments were made uh, without a proper understanding of the full depravity of the Hamas attacks uh, and then she's just doubled down ever since and and it's always this kind of nonsense that um, that there is some sort of moral um, parallel here. Um, we do know, and Media Watch and the ABC touched on this, oh, we don't know if children were beheaded. Um, uh, that hasn't been confirmed. Well, it more or less has been, and, uh, and I think we're getting hung up on whether... You know, swords were used to, to 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 behead children. When it is most likely that those children were hit with high caliber rounds, head headshot with high caliber rounds, and that's going to, with a small child, is going to basically remove their head. I do apologise for um, for, uh, for 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 that awful image, um, but that's essentially why we get while we get you know basically it's kind of perverse. I think that we get into this, um, you know. Uh, sort of grey moral grey area about what what Hamas did on whether they actually physically beheaded children or whether the children were uh, essentially decapitated by gunfire. Um, why do we get so fixed on these things? Because for me, the obvious response is this is just awful and deserves utter contempt from everyone around the world. Uh, indeed. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm bewildered when I read these sort of um, uh, windy pieces on social media or in the real media um, arguing about nothing, really. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it, if, you, if you don't see this as evil, then I, then I think you really, really need to have a good hard look in the mirror. Yeah, exactly right. So, Jack, we've got a ground war probably uh, occurring sometime this week. Um, I didn't. I have noticed too quite a great deal of um, criticism of of Netanyahu from within his own country, um, largely fixated on um, on um, or largely fixed on on uh, intelligence failures which led to these Hamas attacks. Is it is this going to is this sort of ground war and the response? Is this going to uh, amplify Netanyahu, or will it uh, will it sort of be the end of his political career? What's your guess? Um, my guess is that it will follow the usual pattern in, in Israel when they've had a like after the Yom Kippur War and they've had a, an intelligence failure. Um, everyone will put their shoulder to the wheel and get the job done now. Um, but when it's over, there will be a price to pay for the people who've got it wrong, and and that and that would probably include Netanyahu. And, and and around the world, we're seeing lots of marches in support of Hamas and just, Palestine. Just, just, just before we we leave yeah. Israel, I've been getting a lot of social media stuff about people saying, "Well, what do the people in Gaza do?" You know, um, and and um, the, the response I saw the other day was was very good. Well, what you do is the first thing you can do is is hand back unharmed the hostages, and if that doesn't work to stop um, uh, the bombing, etc. Um, hand back the, um, uh, uh, the the Hamas leadership, um, harmed or unharmed, it won't matter, and hand back the terrorists who went across the, the, the border, unharmed or harmed, it won't matter. And of if you course. do that, 
And if you do that, the ground war will stop. And if you say, well, we can't do that, then my answer is, then we've got to the nub of the problem. Um, yeah, okay. But, Jack, 50% of the population in Gaza, the Palestinian population in Gaza, are under 18. Yeah, I know. So we can't really point a finger of blame at them, can we? No, um, I'm, no, no I'm not. I'm, what I'm saying is that the population of Gaza has... It needs to think about getting rid of Hamas. It's, it's, it's a million children, Jack. There's, there's over a million children in, in yeah. Gaza. Um, look, I, I understand what you're saying, um, and, and it may well be the latter part of what you're saying is correct, that, that, that the, Palestinian, uh, the, the Palestinian authority in Gaza has no authority over Hamas. Well, the Palestinian authority doesn't really exist in Gaza. Yeah, um, but yeah. But when, when they when Hamas won the election, they um, um, they um, uh, converted or killed the Hamas, the, the, the Palestinian Authority people. You know. Fatah and and the other groups yeah, that have been around historically yeah, yeah, and they, now being yeah, sort were, of eviscerated. They, they were wiped out by Hamas. Yeah, and, um, uh, and and so what we've got going forward is a Hamas-controlled place, um, and, but you've got at the same time over a million children. Yeah, and uh, Hamas in, in doesn't. Hamas does not care. They don't care. The, I know no, they don't care. The yeah. But 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 I'm trying to sort of just get around the moral dimension of, of of what's going on here. That that a million children who, by their nature, don't vote and com- and are completely blameless and innocent, are, they're the ones who are going to bear bear the punishment here. Yeah. Well, no one no one's voted in in in, in Gaza since 2006. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying, Jack. I mean, these are children. Mm. These are legally children under the age of 18, and so they can't be blamed for the excesses of Hamas, and they're the ones that are going to be in the firing line. Yeah, well, it's a very sad. It's a very sad situation. You know that there's going to be a profound military response to what Hamas did, um, and and it will go for weeks and months. And as you said last week, the difficulty will be continuing to support Israel um, uh, while while the uh, uh, while the incursions occur to Gaza. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's just an enormously sad situation uh, as far as I'm concerned. Should we be worried about protests in places like Sydney and Melbourne, Jack? I, 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 as long as they're peaceful protests, I don't have a problem with it. You know, with uh, pro-Israel, pro-Palestine, pro, pro I, I don't have a problem. No, nor, do, nor do I. Um, and in fact, um, uh, I, I think it's... Um, well, I, I draw the line when people start chanting, gas the Jews, that's an no, incitement, that's, that's 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 completely an incitement to murder yeah. um, and should be dealt with accordingly. Um, but um, uh, I quite... Um, I think it's a good thing, healthy in a democracy, that people um, display what they really are. Every now and again, someone turns the lights on really brightly and we get to see just who people are, like Jenny Leong. Um, uh, and um, and that's a good thing. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, uh, look, uh, but I, I just get back to the like, issue. Like I don't Greens. peacefully protest, uh, ignore the violent rhetoric. I, I can't see any reason why... Uh, uh, pro-Palestinian groups, for example, should be denied the right to uh, uh, to, uh, to to peacefully protest in this yeah, state I, or any other. 
I think it runs up in, in, into problems in some parts of the world when the when the when the protests become pro Hamas protests because Hamas is in a good deal of the Western world a prescribed organisation. Um, so supporting it is um, uh, is a, an offence. Is it is it a terrorist? Is it a prescribed uh, terrorist organisation in Australia? Uh, sure. I don't think it is in Australia, no, but it certainly no. it certainly is in the UK and in the US. I think, um, mm. uh, um, and in and in uh, a good deal of Western Europe, uh, it's a prescribed organisation. So um, that's that's a difficulty that that those countries need to work out. But generally speaking, I've got no problem with um, you, you, look. You're, look, you're allowed to have dumb ideas. You're allowed to be an idiot. Yeah, but you can't keep making them. And that, this is Jenny Leong's business, right? She just she's doubled down. Um, well, she well, didn't well, understand. Well, she didn't understand the the appalling br- brutality and depravity of the Hamas attacks. Um, yeah. um, women, children, uh, innocent people being shot to death in their beds, um, uh, just uh, just completely assaulted them. And 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 one, but once she did. She kept she kept doubling down with these false equivalences and yeah, well, well, people are now claiming the protests are about protecting the people of Gaza, and that's um, nonsense because the protest, the pro-Palestinian protest, started before a bomb was dropped on Gaza. They were protests in support of what Hamas did. Meanwhile, Jack, and I mentioned this in my column last Wednesday, Harvard and various groups within it, um, 30 student organisations, co-signed a letter laying all the blame for the atrocities on Israel and Hamas didn't get a mention. Um, And uh, since then, Jack, uh, well, (laughs) when I wrote about it, these 30 student organisations were uh, kept anonymous um, due, it was said, uh, uh, to protect them against a backlash. Um, not much, you're, you're signing an open letter, but you're, you're signing an invisible ink. It's, it's rather silly. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's typical but they've since lack, been outed, of, a lot of them anyway. They have. Um, and um, uh, some of the, the – the, uh, there's a billionaire called Bill Ackman, who's a hedge fund billionaire. He said, well, I, I want their name so I can um, – the CEOs are telling me, who are these people? We don't want to employ them. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, and then there was uh, a response to that from a Harvard Law student who said, so I know many members had no say in whether their orgs signed either letter. Uh, many weren't even notified that their orgs were considering considering doing so. No need for this level of harassment. Probably a fair point to make because these groups, they don't, this, these two open letters as it, as, as it transpired, but the first one came out, Really, and like the Jenny Leong um, uh, criticism or denunciation of Israel, um, came without a proper understanding of what had taken place in Hamas. Uh, in, sorry, uh, in in in, um, in Israel uh, by Hamas. Yeah, uh, and, um, then, uh, and, and then they gone and won't double down again. This um, is particularly particularly amusing uh, as it's Harvard, uh, uh, because Harvard has a dreadful record of cancel culture. Of its own people who dissent from the um, uh, orthodoxy, um, uh, it uh, it has the lowest ranking of any university in the United States for freedom of speech, um, uh, and it's I think there are nine uh, nine current Harvard employees who are being pushed out the door because they, uh, as I say, they were for apostasy for not for not agreeing with the 
standard Harvard thought on, on, on things. Um, it's almost Maoist um, in this approach. So it's somewhat amusing that the cancel culture thing has come back around and bitten them. Well, are people losing their jobs in the United States for, for, for criticising Israel? Uh, no, people are losing their jobs in the United States, the United States, for doing any, for almost anything else, for being um, apostates on a whole range of progressive courses. No, but since the Hamas attacks, I mean, the Washington Post, Washington Post tweeted up that the Israeli Israel Gaza war is still in its first week, but some people in the United States and around the world have lost their jobs or have faced discipline or backlash for their criticism of Israel. Now. Back, no, that's that's a pretty broad thing, isn't it? I mean, lost their jobs is quite different from backlash, which could just be straight out uh, response. Uh, as seen, I as seen, I wrote about Leong in uh, uh, in the Australian, haven't seen a single instance of this. Harvard's the one that's come closest, where um, it looked like people were going to lose their internships and possible employment, but that probably won't happen. Um, but um, anyway. Um, it, Meanwhile, uh, in New York City, Jack Mayor Adams, uh, he's managed to be able to sort of cut through uh, the bullshit uh, with an inspired speech at a New York Stands with Israel rally. He began by saying that when an aide, presumably Jewish, said that we are not all right, it hit him in my it, it hit him, and this is in, this is in Mayor Adams' words, in my soul. We are not all right when Hamas believes that they are fighting on behalf of something and their destructive, despicable action they carried out. We are not all right when we still have hostages who have not come home to their families. We are not all right and we're not going to say we have a stiff upper lip and act like everything is fine. Everything is not fine. Israel has a right to defend itself. Um, good speech, Jack. For our readers, you can find it on YouTube. Just Google... Um, 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 New York Mayor Adams' speech on Israel, and it's well worth four minutes of your time. Yeah, your fight is our fight. Just to wrap it up, uh, and right here in New York, we have the largest Jewish population outside of Israel. This is the place that our voices must raise and cascade throughout the entire country. We will not be all right until every person accountable for this act is held, uh, every person responsible for this act is held accountable. Good speech. Check it out. We... Uh, We'll post up the YouTube thing on uh, on the conditional release pro uh, uh, program's website. Uh, uh, we've been to the UK. We're returning there again. Large protests, some verging on violence, lots of threats to Jews. We've seen this a little bit in Australia as well, um, particularly those of us who um, uh, keep an eye on neo-Nazi groups. And Melbourne, of course, is the sort of hub of neo-Nazism in this country. There was a group running around, uh, Jack, uh, they were, the, the, the cop was shot him through to the, the railway station, ended up getting off at Altona, um, but they uh, were um, uh, really giving people a very, very hard time on the, on the, on the, on the train, uh, including someone who produced a handkerchief that was the colours of the Israeli flag, and uh, police had to sort of rescue this bloke from copying uh, more than um, a verbal abuse. Uh, and then there was an Arab fellow who, Arab fellow, Middle Eastern appearance fellow who came onto the train and he had to be protected by police while these clowns were doing their sick holes, uh in the train. I'm a, I'm, I am assured from my friends in the White Rose Society that a number of these Nazis, Jack, have dual citizenship. And for the life of me, I cannot, cannot understand why people 
like uh, like Peter Dutton and others and me right now, if you like, are saying, let's get rid of these people. Let's deport them. I mean, that's why you created these laws. Why why are neo why are, why are Nazis being protected by them? Um, uh, just one thing I add to that: um, the horseshoe effect has taken place again has, um, yeah. uh, around the world. It's the Communist Party and the Socialist Workers Party who are involved in this, as well as the neo Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. All the all the nutcases gather in one spot. Um, uh, uh, well, Anti-Semitism is the sort of bedrock of extreme left and extreme right it, politics. It is. It is. Um, uh, the French, who are always a little bit. Uh, more hard-headed about this, their French foreign minister has ordered all foreign national in, nationals in his country who commit anti-Semitic acts to be deported, and I think three or four have already gone. Um, they don't mess about the frogs. Um, the French, and, uh, the French, the French. Well, I said la frogs, didn't I? That's okay <laughs> no, if you put the word in front of it. No, um, no, no, no. Uh, and uh, so... You know, people have that, that couldn't happen in Australia because it'd have to go through a whole court process. But the French don't mess. The French don't no, worry the minister, too much about it. The minister now has the power, and and Dutton re- referred to this during the um, uh, during the the anti-Israel uh, rally in in Sydney. Referred to anyone who has basically joint citizenship uh, should be deported. Now here we've got. And I've been reliably informed that at least two of that Nazi group that are on that railway station, uh, one of them's Irish, hello, uh, 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 do hold dual citizenship. And they should be just deported. Just get rid of them. And it can be done, um, with, can be done by, uh, at ministerial discretion. Uh, Don't yeah, know why it's not happening. Uh, well, I'm not so sure it would stand up. Um, uh, yeah. Put it, put it this way, the courts have a long history of getting involved in these things, even when apparently they shouldn't. But, um, but you know, Dutton deported a whole... I mean, he became a, a bit of a... Um, uh, a bit of a... a, a bit of a, uh, an issue between uh, Australia and New Zealand relations about uh, all the uh, all the Kiwis that were being punted, Jack. Yeah, but they were, they were punted after a process as well. They weren't just punted on ministerial discretion. Some of them, some of those seemed a bit skinny. All right. Um, <coughs> uh, well, um, uh, the United Nations uh, are pretty much, I mean, they're a much maligned organisation, Jack, but they're, the, they're pretty much the, the only ones providing hum, uh, humanitarian aid into, uh, into Gaza as we speak. Yeah, I think if Israel is sensible, they will um, uh, um, make sure the UN... Uh, WRA is removed from uh, from Gaza because it, it's not an actor in good faith and hasn't been for a very very long time. This is the um, uh, this is this is the temporary organisation that was set up to look after um, refugees in um, Israel and Palestine after the nineteen forty eight war and is still there now. Right. So so this is just to get it right it's the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for yep. Palestine. Yep. Um and uh, and you're saying that that's a, a group that has become politicized? Yeah. Yeah. Not doesn't act in good faith should be gotten rid of. How do they handle this Jack? Because it's you know there's a humanitarian disaster just unfolding at the moment. Uh and it really is. We know that there are virtually the moderates are all gone from the from from the entire issue now, um, be it in Palestine or be it in Israel. I mean, surely there needs to be a way out for uh, for those uh, citizens of uh, of Gaza. 
Uh, it needs to be a way out. Um, and then is there any hope that this conflict could lead to some form of workable peace going forward? Uh, it's got a lot to play yet before we can have, a, have an opinion about that, I think. All right. Um, sport. God, it's a relief to move on to these. Uh, to the love of, uh, of the bat and ball. Um, uh, there's been a bit of a paucity around the world. Now, your rugby fans and your cricket fans wouldn't agree, but, of course, we've come to the end of the seasons uh, in the men's uh, rugby league uh, and uh, and, and uh, Australian rules football. So some of us are a little bit... Uh, um, some of us a little bit sports-starved at the moment, Jack, but I've been watching a fair bit of the World Cup of Cricket. You've been catching much of that? Uh, I did. Um, uh, I um, uh, met a friend to watch a little bit of Australia last night and, uh, and uh, a British friend was keen to remind me, he, he said, I hope they put the table up, the standings up uh, for the World Cup because he wanted to see uh, yet again that Australia was on the bottom of the table. Um, <laughs> Did he? After yeah. uh, after England got beaten by Bangladesh. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Afghanistan. I'm Afghanistan. sorry. Uh, he wanted he wanted to see, he just wanted to remind me that we were you know that his view that we England weren't going really well, but at least we went on the bottom of the table. But, well, you and I were communicating uh, um, uh, during the India Pakistan game. Uh, uh, fabulous, yes. fabulous match. Uh, always is, and you know when you're watching it, you're part of about uh, two billion people around the world who are. Um, uh, when uh, these, these two great cricketing nations and uh, uh, f- uh, diplomatic foes um, uh, meet, it's, it's it's a reminder because they play so rarely. Um, it's a reminder of the importance um, in, in for four sports in retaining enough scarcity. Um, that if you're playing each other every second week, uh, it becomes boring. Um, uh, but when you when you play each other as rarely as India and Pakistan does, it's just compelling. You can't not look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that that's at least two billion. There was a list of the largest television audiences in world sport, and cricket comes in at second. Um, football, soccer, number one, of course, with an audience of three point five billion. Um, uh, cricket's uh, uh, television audience is two point five billion, and you will get that when India plays Pakistan. Uh, <coughs> uh, and of course. Uh, you uh, you uh, wrote to me saying that uh, Barber was out, and you said that's a big wicket, and I said I don't think there are too many bigger wickets in, in world cricket. Um, yeah, not, not not just because he's a great bat, and he certainly is, but he's a very smart cricketer as well. Um, and and when he's there, Pakistan's always got a chance. Got a but, chance, yeah. yeah. And 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 because um, he's a great player in a. Um, uh, not a not a mediocre side, but he is a he is a, an outstanding player. That uh, when his wicket falls, um, uh, there's there'd be a few heads drop uh, in the dressing yeah. room. Um, <clears throat> and of course, India went on to uh, beat them without too much trouble. The, the Pakistan lost to about seven for thirty, I think, and uh, and uh, got to a pretty mediocre at one eighty one eighty odd. And India made them uh, got those runs pretty pretty easily. I saw Australia play South Africa, Jack, and it looked to me like an old side um, with not a lot of youth in it uh, and, and and a few blokes in it underdone. Um, uh, I'd say uh, Marcus Stoinis and, uh, 
and uh, Zampa would be two there. Just seemed to me they dropped six catches, some of them very easy ones, um, and they just looked like they weren't kind of ready. And I guess this happens in international cricket because they play so much of it. Getting yourself up for one tournament might be a bit difficult, but um, they really did very well last night against. Um, uh, <coughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, but play, play Sri Lanka last they night. They did play Sri Lanka, of course. So I'm sorry about that. I just went blank. Um, uh, and they feel the fielding was excellent. Um, even though uh, uh, the Sri Lankans put on a good 120-odd for the opening wicket, um, uh, they really did come hard at them. Zampa bowled beautifully. Got got his zip back. Got that uh, got that ball um, uh, that uh, either the top spinner or the or the wrong and skidding off the wicket and trapping three or four blokes in front. Um, and the fielding, as I say, was was excellent. Dave Warner led the led the charge there, and then the batsmen all got a few as well. Um, and uh, and and so the, their campaign is pretty much underway with two losses and now one win. Um, India will make it. India will probably win it. They just look head and shoulders the best side in it, and obviously it's at home. Uh, so they've got adoring crowds uh, supporting them along, giving them plenty of energy. Who else makes it, Jack? Who makes the – because you've got a list of ten, and whoever finishes in the top four, when everyone's played each other once, uh, they go into play in the semifinals. you got India. And the Saffirs. Well, you're only going two. You've got to be, it's got to be four. You've got to have four semi-finalists. Um, uh, I, I actually think that the, those two are a fair way ahead of the park. Uh, I'm not so sure about uh, South Africa. Um, uh, I would put New Zealand in there. They look to be playing very good cricket at the moment. Kane Williamson, their captain and uh, star batsman, um, having some injury problems. I think that might affect them how they, they're going on. They absolutely made mincemeat of England. Um uh, some some very talented players there. Probably a bowler short, but I, uh, New Zealand are a wonderful cricketing nation that they seem to regard the sort of uh, on paper deficiencies as uh, just a challenge. So I'd, I'd put them in there. Uh, South Africa possibly. Of course, the great you – know, have we noticed that there's someone missing from the 10, Jack? Um, Australia and England. No, no, no. In the in the 10, in the oh, 10 the competing 10. sides. Um, uh, who is missing? West, West Indies. Indies. Yeah. yeah, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Yeah. I, I, I regard that as sad. Of course, Netherlands will uh, 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 got them in. They, they, they because of their previous results, they had to uh, the West Indies had to qualify and failed to do so. So um, yeah, India look head and shoulders there, Jack. And of course, then we've had the World Cup of Rugby. And if you had have asked me who was going to win the four games over the weekend, I wouldn't have got one right. I would have um, I would have tipped against England out of general malice. Um, but um, but everyone else, I thought Ireland would get through. I thought uh, the French would get through against very good opposition, both both sides. Uh, and then the, I probably wouldn't have probably wouldn't have gone the Archies, uh, Argentinians, I should say, over um, over Wales. Terrific the, results. The two the two quarterfinals in in Paris, um, Ireland uh, and uh, the All Blacks and South Africa and France were absolutely cracking matches. It was they were both rugby at its very very yeah, very, yeah, very high, high scoring first halves and, um, and, and um, either of those two um, uh, matches would have been a fitting final. Um, you know, the, the matches in Marseille were were not quite as good. But entertaining, nevertheless. Um, Fantastic was, effort from Argentina to, to qualify in the semis. Fantastic effort. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd like to see Argentina go all the way and win it just because I'd like to see a new country on with their name on the trophy. Well, we did, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I don't, I doubt that they will, but they, they played Wales, and Wales, um, ha, their form hasn't been wonderful. I mean, Ireland are ranked number one in the world. They got beaten by the ABs. Uh, France, the, the the favourite to win the tournament, uh, got rolled by uh, by the Saffirs, and um, uh, and then uh, England, well. Well, you wouldn't say they fell in, but they, they had a, a fairly close contest against Fiji, who've had a wonderful tournament too. They did. Um, I was WhatsApping with a friend who's over in Marseille for the quarterfinals over there, um, and you'd enjoy this, uh, Jack. He had um, uh, good seats and went for you know, uh, drinks with the, the, the English team afterwards, um, uh, and he found himself having beers with uh, Mike Tyndall and Alan Lamb, the former... Oh, yes. uh, English, English cricketer from England South Africa. Who spent 25 minutes telling him about the last over 18 um, he scored at the, S- <laughs> at the SCG. Bruce Reid Bruce Reed bowling. Yeah, Bruce Reid bowling. bowler too, Bruce Reid. So, yeah. so um, my pal thought that was a pretty good night, topped off by a dance with Zara Tyndall. Oh, very, very nice. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, a couple of my mates, uh, one fresh from... Uh, the the earthquake in Morocco, uh, and a couple of his mates they met in they met in uh, Paris to watch uh, the Wallabies play Fiji. <laughs> and I said, "When did you leave?" He said, "Ah, uh, well, I got I got two different versions. One from one guy said, oh, we were gone, we were gone with ten minutes to go.'" And uh, my good mate James, he reckons five minutes, but I'm not. I don't believe him. I reckon he was out the door. Uh, by about, uh, with about 10 minutes to go. They'd had enough. They'd had a gutful. Um, uh, so who wins, Jack? You'd like to see Argentina, but who I, don't? I, I would, I'd but like I to don't think Saffers it will be. I think it'll be the Saffirs. Mm, yeah, me too. All right. Well, that takes us out. Uh, we've had a very big, uh, long program uh, dealing with the, the voice, of course, and, uh, and dissecting uh, the results there and where we go now, as a nation, into uh, uh, into reconciliation, where 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 reconciliation goes from here. So we've uh, taken up a lot of time uh, with the recording, uh, with with recording about those uh, two main issues. So we'll be back next week. We've got a few things on the boil, Jack, including uh, there's been a, an epidemiologist report from Sweden, Jack, that uh, doesn't paint a good picture of their pandemic response. I'll send that to you during the week so we can have a good natter about that. Um, and uh, and we'll be dealing with other matters in other perhaps um, um, uh, less reportable parts of the world uh, at the moment, uh, including Africa and a fertiliser shortage, which is really causing mayhem. Uh, in their agricultural industries and delivering food to tables in the continent. Um, but th- thanks very much for your time today, mate. And I really do appreciate your analysis on The Voice. Um, you, you know, it is quite true that you were absolutely spot on about this from, uh, well, at least from February uh, and maybe a little bit earlier than that. Not that it gives me any great job. I mean, if, you, if you're tipping, you're always... 
um, uh, slightly afraid you'll look more of a fool than usual if you get it wrong. But it doesn't give me any great pleasure to, to, to be right about that. I right. just think it's a wasted opportunity. Just before we go, two things from a progressive friend. The sad thing is that even if, you, if you're too shamed to be live in Australia these days, you can't even move to New Zealand. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and secondly, a little bit of news from Africa. Um, there's a chap in Kenya who managed to get into the Kenyan Law Society um, uh, website and log in, log in as a fellow of the same name, uh, who was, is a, was a lawyer, and put up his put up his own photos on this, um, and then went and practiced as a lawyer despite having no qualifications to do so. This was eventually found out, and the chap's been arrested. But meanwhile. Um, he's conducted 26 cases as a, a as a fake lawyer, and he won all 26. There you go. Well, what's the use in studying, Jack? You just say you're a lawyer, and you'll <laughs> you'll have the sort of grit to get the job done. Uh, yes, very very good indeed. So uh, look, that's all to be. We've, we've got a number of things on the agenda for next week, and we look forward to bringing that to you. Uh, and as usual, we uh, do encourage you to uh, drop us a line and let us know whether we got things right, wrong, whatever. Uh, and you can get hold of me at Jack the Insider on Twitter. My DMs are always open, and you can get hold of Hong Kong Jack on his Substack. Give it to me, Jack. Uh, HongKongJack.substack.com. There you go. All right. Thanks, uh, listeners, and we'll be back. Uh, with the two jacks next week.